Good morning, fellowship. It is such a gift to be able to gather together with you for worship. This morning marks epiphany. Uh, epiphany comes from the Greek word uh, epiphania. Repeat after me, epiphania. Uh, it's a word that means manifestation or appearance. And by it, we mean specifically the manifestation or the appearance of God's glory. Previously, the best glimpse of God's glory was etched on glorious sunrises and majestic mountains and roaring seas and sparkling, colorful caves. But on Epiphany Sunday, we celebrate the manifestation of God's glory perfectly manifested in the face of the Christ child. The Magi traveled thousands, thousands of miles to, uh, from the east to see his glory and to lay their treasures at the feet of the child who was himself a gift to the nations of the world. Throughout the Gospels, we hear stories of his glory in healings and in miracles and in teachings, which we'll hear more about this morning. But this morning, as we prepare our hearts, uh, we want to prepare our hearts to behold Christ's glory uh, in prayer. So would you, would you pray with me? Almighty Lord God, you gave your son Jesus Christ to be the light of the world we praise and magnify your holy name that in him you have revealed the wonder of your saving love to all people. With those of old who brought their tribute to his feet, confessing him as king of heaven and earth, we now present the worship of our grateful hearts, asking you to give us grace to give ourselves to you through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us? Oh, 
beginning of a new year and on Epiphany Sunday we have an opportunity to give thanks that the light has come into the world and we also recognize that the light often most notably shines in our world through us so on the first Sunday of 2024 we give thanks and celebrate the light of the new babies born in our community in 2023 let's pray O God, through Christ, our Lord and our Savior, you took on flesh, and through you all things came into being. In you, O Lord, there is life, and that life is the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. As we light a candle for each of the babies that were born in 2023, we lift their names before you, O God, and we give thanks for Katerina Thorpe, Kinley Connor, Nolan Box, Elowen McDonald. Mila Smith, Brielle Folkert, Bryn Folkert, Grant Parsons, Deborah Anium, Esther Anium, and we also light a candle for the unnamed new lives in our wider community, grandchildren, nieces and nephews, and cousins alike, and we give thanks to you, O God, as your light shines in us in this world. We pray that your light might also shine in the lives of these children in this coming year and the years to come. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may your light grow within each one of these children in order that their lives may be reflections of your glory in this broken world that is so loved by you. We commit each one to them, each one of them to you, dear Lord, in this year that has come and gone with its mixture of blessing and challenge. And we pray that in this new year ahead, your light might reveal to us also your grace 
that in pain we may find comfort and in joy we may find courage to tell of your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Sisters and brothers in Christ, let the, the light of the world was made flesh, lived, died, and rose again. And because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have peace with God and with one another. The peace of Christ be with you. Please stand and sh share a sign of peace with those around you as you are comfortable and able. in worship together, we take a moment to connect, to celebrate, and to give thanks. You can be seated um, for what God is doing in our midst and to prayerfully consider how God might be inviting us to belong, grow, and serve beyond this hour that we are together. My name is Jess Mix, and I'm the Minister of Creative Arts and Worship here at Fellowship. We have an intentionally crafted mission statement rooted in scripture that we name every Sunday because when we know who we are, we know what to do. Would you join me in saying it? It will be on the screen. Our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. A special welcome to you. If this is one of your first few times joining us for worship, either via our live stream or here with us in person, we have connection cards available um, if you'd like to make yourselves known to us, and we'd definitely love to get to know you. So check those out at the Welcome Center. Um, this morning, we will conclude our time of worship together by taking communion together. So if you're with us online, we invite you to gather your elements, the bread and the juice, so that you can participate later on with us. And if you're with us in person, we also invite you to stick around after the service, after this service, um, as we move from the communion table to the coffee and donuts table in the atrium. It'll be a good time to connect with each other while having some yummy food and drink. Uh, this morning, I want to invite Hannah Clark to come forward. Um, Hannah is on our planning team for our all-church retreat that's coming up, and she's going to tell us a bit about it. Um, if you're new to us these last few months or years, you may not know that we had an all-church retreat in the winter of 2019. I was still a bit new in my role at Fellowship here at the time, and it was really a blast to spend the weekend um, with extended time with the Fellowship family, getting to know people. Uh, we, Hannah, tell us what is this all-church retreat? What's happening? Well, it is hard to sum up in a few sentences, but it is a blast. The whole weekend, it's up at Timberwolf Lodge. Mm -hmm. um, if you've never been there, it's beautiful. And there's, I would say that the um, lodging, the where you stay mm -hmm. is amazing. So mm -hmm. if you have any interest, please come, yeah, please come. Yeah. And worship and teaching and games or anything beyond that? All of it. Oh, so there's okay. so Food many too? activities. You'll okay. be the whole weekend will be full. Um, but there's worship, there's games, there's outdoor activities, indoor activities. Um, so if there's snow, there'll be a lot of fun um, on the sledding hill too. Oh, yeah. So fun yeah. times. So who is this for? Who would want to go to the all church retreat? Oh, it's for everybody. Um, I think 
the first time we had done it, it was beautiful to see how many different people came together. Um, young families, young adults, um, empty nesters. It was, it was awesome. Great. So everybody. This is, this is, is everybody. Not, it's not for, yeah, I don't, that's a double negative. Anyway, <laughs> so what are you looking forward to personally on the planning team? You know things we don't know. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's, it was so much fun and it's so good to kind of be in community with um, people in the, in the church um, and just connect with them on a deeper level um, and interact with people maybe you haven't interacted with before um, and just being able to worship together, laugh together, mm-hmm. eat together. It's great. Yeah, you were in a skit last Oh. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. I thought maybe you'd say, I'm looking forward to being in a skit again. Uh, well, we'll see if we bring that back or not. You'll have to come to, you know, find out what I that know. is. So, a little teaser there. So, if we want to go, how do we sign up? Online. Okay. Um, obviously, March 8 through 10. Um, mm-hmm. So, you get there Friday evening. We'll wrap up, um, I think, Friday afternoon, early afternoon, uh, early, late yep, morning Sunday. on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. sorry, yep. Sunday. We won't go back in time on Friday. We won't go uh, back in time. Definitely no. not. <laughs> time travel is involved. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, thank you for sharing with us. And yeah. if you'd like to sign up, um, you said online, and maybe there's also information at the Welcome Center as well. So yes, thank you. And thanks for being on the planning team. We're excited. Yeah, we're excited. That's awesome. Hey, yeah, you can applaud for that. <laughs> this morning, we also get to hear from Dave and Rochelle Weiniger via video. The last few months, several groups have been meeting um, and reading the scriptures together in a really unique way using a resource called Immerse. More groups are forming and reforming as we kick off our community nights again starting Wednesday, January 17th. So if you think you'd like to join a group on Wednesdays or even at other times when groups are meeting, but you don't know much about the Immerse experience, then take a listen to what the Weinergers will share with us. Hi, I'm Dave Whitier. And I'm Rochelle Weiniger, and we're going to tell you a little bit about our experience with the Immerse Group at Fellowship. We decided to join the Immerse Group because we wanted to read the Bible in a new way. This experience has definitely allowed us to do so. I've appreciated the ability to look at the Bible from a geographic and historic context a little more holistically. Also, meeting with the same group week after week um, has allowed me to maybe open up and ask more questions about the Bible that I've had that I've never really asked before. So that I've, I've enjoyed that. Yeah. And, and I had probably two takeaways. One is the way that the Bible is formatted in, in these books. It's really nice to have, have it in kind of a paragraph form. Um, so it's like you're reading a novel and, you know, these stories and teachings are, are so important to me and to my faith uh, that it's just a really great way to, to read, read the Bible. The second takeaway I had was, as I was reading, I noticed that there were a lot of stories and teachings that seemed to be confusing to me, or I had questions about, or maybe were controversial. And it was great every week to be able to talk with people and get their point of view on the same stories and the same teachings that, that I had read. And it just really helped, helped me understand it a little bit more. So we had a really great time uh, over the course of these few months doing this, and we hope that you'll join a group and enjoy it as well. Thanks to Dave and Rochelle for sharing with us on that. Um, friends, we are made in the image of good, a good and generous God, and we are most like God when we are participating in the act of loving and giving. 
whether it be our time, ourselves, our talents, or our finances. We give as a people who have received so much. So if you would like to participate financially in what God is doing in and beyond fellowship, there are giving bowls at the back and a QR code in the bulletin. You can also mail or drop off a gift in the front office during the week. As we continue in our worship through music and we prepare to hear God's word preached, our kids are invited to head to their places of worship, uh, three years through third grade with Miss Betsy. And as you are able, I invite you to stand and let's fix our eyes on Jesus, beholding him as the image of the invisible God.
Let's pray together. It is certainly our desire, O oh God, to behold you, to hold your love and grace for us, and to be held by you amidst whatever we're carrying in this morning, amidst all the things that are happening in our lives. May we have a, a sense, an awe of your love and grace uh, that we know in Jesus. And may we uh, be uh, particularly attentive to how your spirit uh, might be uh, speaking to us this morning as we open your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, happy New Year's, Fellowship Church. I realize that the ball has dropped almost a full week ago, but this, as I noted earlier in the service, is our first Sunday of 2024, and Pastor Ross teed us up last week to jump into 2024 with a brand new word of the year, if you weren't here with us uh, last week, a word that would help uh, prompt us to pray, to help guide us into the new year, a word that that we call to mind uh, throughout the year that will help uh, shape and form us, we hope, uh, as we enter into 2024. Myself, I am still discerning what my word is exactly. Our family is thinking about making, uh, coming up with a word together too, as we, especially as we lean into a sabbatical and we're letting that kind of uh, noodle on us as we prepare uh, for that in a couple months. Well, I don't know for sure what my word is. I do know for certain the word of a, a particular football team that I'm uh, uh, particularly fond of. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, yes, th th their word uh, uh, came to them uh, through some adversity, uh, and it's the word bet. Have you heard of this? Uh, I don't know exactly uh, what the word means, uh, but I'm going to try to articulate it uh, as best as I can. Um, when asked after the Big Ten Championship, the, the third in a row, uh, Jim Harbaugh said uh, one word, and it was bet. And he adopted that language from his players because bet, I guess, uh, has, is slang nowadays uh, for okay. It often refers to uh, accepting a less favorable situation than you would prefer. Others use it to oblige, uh, to, 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 do, to take part in an activity that might be a little shady. Or maybe others use it as a sign of accepting a punishment they prefer they didn't receive. My friends half of my age or, or lower would probably be able to better explain the nuances of how this slang word is used. But the slang definition is definitely what the Michigan football team, uh, why they chose the word as they faced some adversity this season with their coach. But BET can also be an acronym, right? You maybe have heard uh, of uh, the, the TV channel, BET, Black Entertainment Television, and Jim Harbaugh appropriated this word when he didn't understand how the slang word uh, to make an acronym saying bringing everyone together, BET. But these are just the contextual understandings of the term. We know the word, the traditional definition of bet, uh, when, when a, putting a wager on something in anticipation of an, an outcome. Merriam-Webster's defines it uh, in this way, uh, with a noun or a verb, which is a, a, a fancy ways of saying, to give something of yourself in anticipation of an outcome, and hoped for an outcome. And we usually use the term when, when, we, when we're talking about money, right? Like, uh, I bet you 10 bucks the Lions are gonna beat the, the Vikings this afternoon. Don't take me up on that. There's way too many of you here this morning. Or I bet you lunch that by the end of the school year, we're gonna have at least one snow day. That's for all of my students and teachers out there. If, if we do, Pastor Tierra's making you lunch right here at Fellowship Church. Making, yeah, making lunch. That, that, that'll be fun, won't it? 
Bets can be sometimes harmless and, and maybe a little bit fun, but it can also be a, a little bit of a challenge for our society, especially as it becomes more and more prevalent with online betting happening more and more. But I think the most costly bets don't have anything to do with money. They're the bets that you make when you put yourself or your family on the line for something. The costly bets, like when a teenager head over heels for who they think might be the love of their life, gives more of themselves than they wanted in hopes that they might get love in return. Or the bet that a parent might make in moving his family or her family across the country for a job, for, for more income, for a better house, for a better school district, in hopes that it might just make their family a little bit better. And testing the resilience of their family is the bet that they're making. Or the bet on a side hustle that'll make a few extra bucks, that'll fill your pockets with a little bit extra money, but it'll take all of your free time and potentially some of the time that you might have otherwise spent with people that you love or people that you care about. Or maybe it's the bet on a medication that has a number of adverse side effects, but you are yearning for health and wholeness and it's worth taking the bet on the medication. Or maybe it's the bet on doing something at work, submitting a report that could have adverse consequences for people that are your colleagues that might cost them more than it even cost you. These are the costly bets. Redeemable for sure. Sometimes even the right and good bets to take. But they're the ones that, the ones that have the significant emotional relational costs. Those, I think, are the hardest bets to take. And my hunch, my suspicion is that Many of us gathered here this morning have had, at one time or another, taken a, a big bet. We've wagered something of ourselves, either finances or emotional, emotionally, and risked it on something else. But my question for us this morning is, have you ever thought of your faith as a bet that you've made? We're gonna begin our series this morning on the Gospel of Mark. Mark uh, will be our companion for the next three months as we journey towards Easter. And Mark's gospel, his story of Jesus, is rather unique to the other gospels, namely in that it's the shortest gospel and it's the oldest gospel, the one that was written earliest. But it also has some unique characteristics as you read along with us. Mark's gospel packs a little bit of a, a punch, you might say. It has a number of quick-hitting stories, and it reads more like the cliff notes of Jesus' life rather than a biography of it. Mark's gospel also seems to emphasize Jesus' deeds, his, his acts, his miracles, his works, rather than his teachings, like the gospel of Matthew that we went through last year. And interestingly, in Mark especially, you'll notice that Jesus does all of these acts, these deeds, these works, miracles, you might say, and he does them in secret with kind of a hush-hush attitude. It seems like in Mark that the mantra is, shh, don't tell anybody I'm the Messiah just yet. Mark is a unique gospel for these and many other reasons, but recurringly, we think you'll find that Mark emphasizes and portrays Jesus as Lord over all our Kyrios, the Lord of all, the one who has power over creation in his miracle, the one who has exercises authority in his deeds of justice and mercy, the one who epitomizes humanity in his love for other people. Jesus in Mark is our Kyrios, our Lord. And it seems to invite us to consider, 
Is Jesus as our Lord worth betting our very lives on? We're going to begin our journey through Mark's gospel in the beginning of the gospel, in chapter 1, verses 1, and then uh, following along with verses 16 through 20. Listen for the word of the Lord from the book that we love. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat and went with, with the hired men and followed Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, one bit bet that you can make with little to no risk is the usage of Mark's gospel on a Christmas Eve service. Why? Because there's no narrative of Jesus' birth in the Gospel of Mark. No mangers, no angels, no Mary and Joseph, nothing. He jumps right from John the Baptist preparing the way to Jesus' baptism as an adult. Mark's Gospel takes just a handful of verses to to get us right to Jesus' adult ministry. And for those of us who are parenting teens, jumping to adulthood in six verses sounds kind of appealing, doesn't it? I mean... Who doesn't love the enduring joy of raising adolescents? In Mark's haste to share so many of the stories that he does about Jesus, he leaves so many details of the narrative out. For instance, he doesn't even mention the birth narrative. And this is true in all of the Gospels, but especially in Mark, we don't know exactly how all of these stories went down. We don't know, for instance, what clothes they were wearing, how long their meals took, how long it took them to journey from one place to another. And most curiously, we don't know what the other people in the story are thinking or what's going on in their heads as they encounter Jesus. We're left to interpret a lot when we read the Gospels, uh, and most of that interpretation is based on our knowledge of the circumstances of that time, the history of what's happening in the context of Jesus' life. Then we can start to make some hypotheses about what could, might be happening in the story. And this is most necessary in Mark's short little gospel. And it's true in his call of the first disciples that he calls on the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 1. Like, what kind of day was it? Was it sunny? Was it a beautiful day on the beach? I mean, he's on the beach, certainly. He's on the land and they're on the water and and he must be on the beach. Or was it gray and cloudy like we've had all weekend here? Was he barefoot in the sand, going for a morning walk, doing his morning prayers, and he happened along these disciples? Or was he intentional and on his way to go see them and and he knew that he was gonna call them right from the morning There's a lot that we don't know about this encounter, but we do know a few things about Jesus and about the disciples in this encounter on the beach. First, we can begin to assume what the disciples knew about Jesus. Because according to Mark's gospel, what's happened so far is that Jesus has gone into the wilderness for 40 days, 
Jesus has been baptized in front of a whole slew of people like a lot of other people, and Jesus uh, has begun preaching. We don't know where, how long, how many times, but we know that he began to preach that the kingdom of God is near. All this, that's all that's happened before this encounter with Jesus and the disciples on the beach which is to say that Jesus has done nothing real impressive just yet. No miracles of power uh, over the raging sea like we'll see later in the gospel. No flipping of the tables in the temple, establishing his authority over the religious leaders. No healings of demon-possessed people, revealing his spiritual power. Nothing but a long fast, a baptism, and a few sermons. Some things that people in this very room have done before. So far, Jesus is just a gossiped about prophet, an unproven rabbi, and maybe even a complete stranger to these fishermen. That's Jesus. But what about the disciples? What do we know about the, or the fishermen, I should say, Simon, Andrew, and the, the Zebedee brothers? Well, I think the text gives us a little bit of a clue in saying that the Zebedee brothers were fishing with their dad. Now, you might be thinking, oh, it's lovely to go fishing with your son or your buddy. I mean, Les loves going out to fish walleye out on Lake Erie with his buddies. Paul and Roger go fish. Gabe and Rick go searching for their uh, coho salmon out in Lake Michigan. Yeah, that's, you, that's fun recreational fishing, but this is not that kind of fishing at all. These were fishermen because that was their livelihood. They weren't fishing for the kicks and giggles of it. They were fishing to feed their families, and not only to feed their families, but also to sell the fish so that they could have enough money to, to pay the bills, to pay their, their barley bills and their charcoal subscriptions and their, and their new sandals that they had to buy every year. This was family business fishing. This was their identity. This wasn't just something that they did on the side. This is who they were. To illustrate this point, N.T. Wright in his commentary on this passage tells the story of a famous British poet and journalist named John Betjeman. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. Forgive me if I'm not. John's parents were prosperous silverware makers in London. His family had established this business three generations before his parents, which means this was his parents' grandparents that started the business. They had been making silverware, and they were good at it, a prosperous, lucrative business, especially among the elite Victorian Great Britain at the time. However, John, in his adolescent years, declared that he was not going to go take over the family business as he eked towards adulthood. Instead, he was going to go to college and become a poet. His dad was disgusted. You can't become a poet. You have a family business to run. You can make lots of, you, can, you don't even have to go to college. You can do the family. I'll train you. you don't, why spend all that money on poetry? And how are you going to make a living being a poet? Well, it turns out John, in his rebellion, did go to school, and he did become a poet, and he became a, a very good one. In case you don't know, I didn't know until this week, that he uh, was the poet laureate in England for a number of years, a beloved figure on TV, even at the time of his death. And there's a memorial that exists to him in Westminster Abbey today for his poet poetry that he wrote. He bucked the trend of four generations of family silverware making. 
Now, I don't know how long they were fishermen, the Zebedee brothers and Andrew and Peter, but we can assume that the number of generations was even greater than four. Because in ancient times, in, in, in the times of Jesus, family businesses were not passed down for generations, but they were passed down for centuries. Your family's identity, your family's honor, which was very important at the time, was directly connected to the work that you did. We see a small taste of that in John's life and in maybe in some rural small businesses in middle America still today. But we can't minimize the gravity of this moment for these two sets of brothers. Here they are, fishing, doing what they've done for centuries, maybe, and along comes Jesus, a nobody, an upstart rabbi, an unknown prophet, likely even a stranger to them, and he invites them to leave everything behind, the family legacy that's been done for generations and generations, and come and follow him, and immediately they follow him? Talk about a risky bet. Mark's gospel, yes, is brief and punchy, a little bit of narrative and a few team details, but this seems like a big deal, Mark. This seems like it deserves a little bit more narrative attention, don't you think? They just dropped it all and immediately followed Jesus. No big deal? What? N.T. Wright, again, sums up this passage when he says this. Only when you think a bit about the sort of life that Peter, Andrew, James, and John had, had had and the totally unknown future Jesus was inviting them into you, do you understand just how earth-shattering this little story was and is? You leave everything you've known, all your security, your family, and family solidarity was hugely important in that culture, and to follow Jesus. These fishermen bet the house, their very lives, on following Jesus. I sometimes wonder if I would have the same kind of courage that they did if Jesus were to come and ask me to follow him in that way. What would it even look like for us living in West Michigan in 2024 to bet it all on Jesus, to put it all in on following him? This morning, we have a great example of what this kind of discipleship, this kind of willingness to follow looks like in my friend and colleague, Pastor Samuel. Pastor Samuel and Danny, you guys can come up right now. Pastor Samuel is the pastor uh, at a little church, Frontera de Gracia, in Juarez, Mexico. And what you uh, probably know about him is that we have been mission partners with them for a couple years now. We've taken a couple trips. And Pastor Samuel uh, has been a, a man of great faith and inspiration to me. And he's going to share a little bit this morning uh, about what's happening in, uh, at the border uh, at, at his church. Hi, uh, good morning. My name is Samuel Lopez, brother Jose Angel Lopez. Doy gracias a Dios por estar aquí. We give thanks to God for being uh, here at this place today. A él sea la gloria, a Dios sea la honra. We also give the glory and honor um, to God. Y gracias a Dios también por tener una relación con ustedes. And also as he also has the opportunity to give thanks to you guys having his friendship um, to be here this morning. Eh, nuestros ancianos eh, dijeron eh, saludos, uh, saludos a, a la iglesia. Um, he also says um, uh, his congregation also sends his thanks and um, hellos. Y doy gracias a Dios por la relación que hemos tenido con ustedes. 
Um, he also says that he's also thankful for the friendship he has with his uh, fellowship church. Sin la ayuda de Dios, sin las oraciones de ustedes, el ministerio en la frontera no se podría realizar. From all the prayers and um, also support, um, what's happening in, um, in Fuerte de Gracia, um, none of that will be, be able to happen without your support. Nuestro trabajo en la frontera no solamente es dar descanso a los inmigrantes. Uh, for the work happening at the border, it's not only just helping them at that moment. Sino también la mayoría o todos. But majority of almost all. Vienen con el, el alma quebrada. Con el alma quebrada. The broken soul. No. Um, they also come, um, a lot of times, broken. Very brokenness. Y no solamente les damos alimento y un lugar para descansar. Um, we not only that, we also provide um, support for them uh, during that time. Sino lo más importante para nosotros es que ellos conozcan quién es Jesús. For not only that time, we also give them their physical needs, but also as well their spiritual needs on uh, getting to know what God is and who He is. Y este ha sido el desafío más grande que hemos tenido. And with that, it has been such a great purpose in having that. Y cuando vemos un corazón quebrado, transformado por el Evangelio, seeing that transformation of being, them being broken into them being saved, glorificamos a Dios y nos da mayor fuerza para continuar nuestro trabajo. That gives us such great strength to continue on the mission that God has presented to us. Dios ha sido increíblemente bueno con nosotros en la frontera. God has been so grateful and God has been so blessed for us on this mission. Cada día tenemos desafíos diferentes. Every day we have something different come up. Pero Dios ha sido bueno. But God has been faithful. Sigan orando por nosotros, por favor. Please continue on with your prayers um, through us. No se olviden de, de mí, de mi esposa que se llama Seni y mis dos hijas que se llaman Hani y Kelly. Not only just for me, but also um, for my wife, Zani, and I mean um, also for his children here. That's with him. Gracias por ser parte de nuestra familia de la fe. Thank you for being also our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. God bless you always. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thanks, Danny. What you might not know about Pastor Samuel is that uh, he uh, grew up in Chiapas, Mexico, some 2,637 kilometers from Juarez. His call to Juarez was not an easy or safe one. He moved away from his family some 2,600 miles away 20 years ago after a brief stint in Merida, you can see on the Yucatan Peninsula, for seminary. He left it all in trusting and hoping that God would have a call for him in Juarez. And now he lives in a gated community with his family uh, under high security and risking it all so that he might be a minister, a salt and light to those folks in Juarez. Samuel, Samuel like the disciples, have taken, took a bet on following Jesus into great uncertainty but trusting in the faithfulness of God. God doesn't call all of us to such a drastic location change, but his invitation can be costly. 
into the unknown and into, the uncertain, and into uncertainty. And I wonder, how might Jesus be calling you, inviting you to follow him in 2024? Or maybe what costly step of faith is he inviting you to take? It can be costly, cost the familiarity of home, it can cost us friendships, it can even cost us sometimes sacrificed income. But these costs actually don't even compare with the bet that Jesus has actually made on you. In Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus will be revealed as the Lord of all and how he has made an enormous bet on you, literally wagering it all to win your heart and to win your very life. When we say Jesus is our curios, our Lord, it's a political statement with social implications. It's in sharp contrast to how the word was typically used in those days. You see, curios, Lord, that was reserved for the one true emperor of the time, the Roman emperor. And the name Jesus as Lord was a, a that, that you couldn't do both. There's no shared leadership model with Jesus and the emperor. It's one or the other. You have one Lord, one ultimate authority, one person you're ultimately responsible to. Ironically, then, there is no world in which a Lord, the one who has ultimate power and authority over you, is anywhere ever uh, uh, required to be subject to his subjects. A curious a, a Lord never subjects himself to the subjects or herself to the subjects. And yet that's the exact bet that Jesus has taken. Jesus subjected himself temporarily to his subjects to win their hearts ultimately. The bet that Jesus took was that I can win them over not by manipulation or force or compulsion, but I'll win their heart through sacrificial love. I'll truly win them over in giving myself for their sake. Jesus has literally bet his life to prove his love for you. He's bet that being created in his image, you'll realize that your worth is not based on the world's standards. He's bet that being baptized into his life, you'll realize that the way of sacrifice and love will lead to the full and abundant life that he promises. He's bet that when you screw up, when you can't follow through on your end of the deal, when you can't make the bet, you'll realize the magnitude of his sacrifice is enough to redeem even you. He's bet that your yearning for community and connection can be fulfilled in his body manifest on this earth, the church. He's bet his life on you in hopes that you might respond similarly. For the next three months, we'll join the gospel writer Mark in his quick articulation of Jesus' life. And in it, I hope that you'll see how Jesus has bet his life on you and what it might look like for you to more fully bet your life on him. Curiously, Jesus bet that we would discover him not just in the grandeur of creation or in the reading of his word, but actually right here at a table with common elements like bread, bread, and cup. For it's here at this table that we have communion with God who's bet his life on us and with his body, the church. It's here that we rehearse the story of Jesus, how he came and died and rose again. It is here that we join our hearts with one another, mutually acknowledging our need for God's grace in Jesus Christ. And it's here that we find hope for the journey, that even when we can't put all our chips in, God is faithful and has put all his chips in on our behalf. 
we come to this table in remembrance, in communion, and in hope. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you this morning in gratitude for what you have done for us and what you will continue to do in and through us. Heavenly Father, with joy we praise you for you created heaven and earth, made us in your image, and kept covenant with us. In your goodness and by your providence, you preserve all that you have made, and because you love all that you've made, you didn't allow our sin and brokenness to get the last word. And sending Christ, the light of the world, <coughs> you revealed your glory to the nations. You sent a star to guide seekers of wisdom to Bethlehem. Your signs and witnesses in every age lead people from every place to worship Christ. In sending your Holy Spirit, you set our hearts aflame day by day, conforming us to the image of Christ Jesus, igniting in us a love for you, one another, our neighbors, and even our enemies, that we may illumine the darkest corners of the world and point the way back to you. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray, that this meal of bread and cup may be fresh communion with our triune God who loves us, redeems us, and who sends us as a light to a dark world until your kingdom fully comes. Amen. On the same night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that same night, after a little time had passed, Jesus took the cup, and he filled it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, and, and, and as often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Friends, the bread which we break and the cup which we bless is for us our communion with the risen Lord. This morning we will receive communion by intinction, which means you will come forward, and I invite the elders to do that right now, or the servers to come forward at this time, uh, and take a piece of bread, and after dipping it in the cup, you may consume. If you would like a gluten-free station, there's one right over here under the cross, with Paul, uh, or you may stay in your seat and just raise your hand, and there are a couple rovers that will be eager to serve you in your seats. My friends, these are the gifts of God for us, the people of God. Come, for all things are now ready.
let's sing together.
We offer you a thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more, O God, for your goodness, for your blessing, and for this table that we could feast at. May you be with us as we enter into this week and uh, relish in your love and grace that you've bestowed upon us. May we be a people who respond favorably and uh, return that to others. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As you go, uh, make sure you stop at the coffee table, I'll call it, on the way out. Grab a donut and some coffee. Uh, But before you do, uh, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace, my friends.